I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And I will not let what I cannot do interfere with what I can do. Edward Everett Hale. Hi, on today's episode, you are going to hear a conversation between myself and Paige Malinowski. Paige is the program manager of the Young Adult Program at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston, Massachusetts. Even though I was treated at Dana-Farber, I actually did not meet Paige until I was done with my active treatment. I have been lucky enough to work with her on numerous occasions through my work with Elephants and Tea Magazine. She is incredible at what she does. Her calm demeanor and kind nature really helps to create a safe space for people to feel comfortable to share what they're going through. Takes a special person to do what Paige does, which is exactly why I wanted her to be a guest on the podcast. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Paige. Hi, Lisa. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I am great. Thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast today. Oh, it's such an honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So we're going to jump right in. And I was wondering if you would mind sharing just a little bit about yourself and how you knew this was the career for you. Great question that I find myself often reflecting back on as, <laughs> as I continue to age. Um, so, so I grew up around um, the Boston area um, from here locally and um, big Red Sox fan, of course, big New yes. and, um, and uh, went to college in Pennsylvania, majored in psychology, um, and then came back to the Boston area to um, pursue a career in, in healthcare and um, have loved, loved every moment of it. So um, again, from here originally and um, really awesome family, friends. Um, let's see, what else is good to know? Um, <laughs> I adore my niece and nephews. Um, oh, nice. And yeah, we can talk a little bit more about um, job in a little bit too. Yes, for sure. So how did you, when, when you thought about this career, did you always know you wanted to go into the oncology space or how did that kind of get started? Yeah. So I think like so many of us, like I feel like almost everyone could say this, um, I've had many close experiences with cancer in my family and and watched many family members go through it. Some with some successful treatment and others with not, unfortunately. So, um, that's definitely what drew me to this space, being personally affected by it and watching so many family and friends go through it as well, as so many of us can say. Um, I think generally when I when I started kind of thinking about what I might want to do with my career, I definitely wanted to, to be in some form of helping profession. I first thought I wanted to do school counseling. I had a really incredible guidance counselor in high school that really kind of shaped, um, you know, this is something I might want to do. And then kind of pivoted a little bit after some of the family experiences I mentioned I'd spent a lot of time in hospitals visiting different family members and really, unfortunately, it felt like um, it kind of became a home um, in certain ways, um, which I know sounds crazy to say, but after spending so much time there and um, getting close to some of the staff members that cared for my family and um, I really found I was drawn to the pace of being in a hospital setting and certainly a lot of stress, but um, I think that's really what pulled me back in and, and then you know, majored in psychology at school and then um, luckily was able to explore a minor in health medicine and society, which really kind of drew me in further and thinking about, um, I took a class on, I think it was like illness narratives. Um, and that was really powerful to hear kind of the patient family voices that were, you know, familiar to me in, in many ways. 
after my own experiences, but also offer different lenses too. So, um, and then, you know, luckily got a, got a job at Dana-Farber right after I graduated. I was very fortunate to have that in clinical research um, and then um, became a resource specialist here and then now into my young adult program role. I love every uh, moment. Yeah, that's so great. Thank you for sharing. I feel like unfortunate that you've had that experience and I'm sorry that you had to go through that. But I find that a lot of people in your role do have that personal experience. And I think that there's a draw to it in that way because you have that perspective and you can really level down with your patients with, and and that's a special connection that you can make. Um, and I'm sure you've found that in your years in your role, but, um, you're not the only one that has that, you know, I feel like it's a very common thing to want to help people go through something that they've, that you've been through yourself, you know? Yeah, that's such a good point. You're absolutely right. Um, and I think I've, I've met people that are, um, that have had those experiences that are like, man, yeah, nope, all set. Don't want to have to go through yeah. it again. And right. Others that are really drawn to it, like you said. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Now, kind of your line of work. Speaking of the difficulties of it, you know, it's it's a heavy topic. There are heavy things going on for people. Um, it must be kind of hard to unplug. So, how do you? separate your work life and your personal life, if you don't mind sharing, or is that something you're still working on? Because I know a lot of people are like, that's a constant battle. (laughs) I will echo. It's a constant battle. I think (laughs) I've learned so much. I think time helps. Um, I think time is one of those things, which is, you know, it's so obsolete, but also um, something that does kind of I think in hindsight, I think I, I see how far I've, I've come and grown in, in that space. So I think for me, um, I've had a lot of great supervision around it from many fantastic mentors here that are also living, living that experience. Um, and I think um, taking time for myself, self-care, I think is one of those mm-hmm. buzzwords that, that yeah. is really common now. And, and that means something different for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also honoring the experiences of the, the individuals we're working with. Um, these are, we're human. And um, I think that's also what's part of an important part of the work too, that to come into this kind of um, arena. Um, and I think honoring that and, and knowing that these are, are individuals as well, but also mm-hmm. finding a space to, to know that um, we can't carry on the work if we don't kind of continue to fill our own buckets. Exactly. Yeah. That saying, I feel like I've used it a few times before, but like you cannot pour from an empty cup, you know, so you can't, you can't help your patients, your people in the way that you want to or need to, if you don't take care of yourself. So that's very important. Yes. So true. (laughs) Oh, um, could you share a little bit about the program that you work for at Dana-Farber to share with the listeners kind of what yeah, just a little bit about the program would be great. I'd love to. Um, so I am the program manager for the Young Adult Program at Dana-Farber. Um, we are a program designed for young adults receiving cancer treatment or, or other treatment for blood disorders or other um, illnesses treated here at Dana-Farber. And we say young adult and our age range is typically um, ages 18 into early 40s. So I think that can be surprising for some folks, but we're primarily on the adult side, um, 18 and up. Um, and we recently actually expanded the age range up to the early 40s. We had previously kind of had a rough cutoff of 39, but I think we've seen how 
that life stage can vary so much and, and um, to define it with an age feels really hard. And that would be the last thing we want to do is to prevent folks from accessing kind of some right. resources. Um, so, so we provide psychosocial support programs, resources, um, kind of navigation in that arena um, for any young adult seen here. Um, many of our programs are also open to folks treated beyond Dana-Farber. Um, we've really made an effort to ensure that that's the case. We feel very fortunate to have a program specifically for young adults here. And I'm sure you know and have talked to other um, kind of AYA groups around the country. That is not always the case. And right. we're very fortunate to have that here. So um, to, to prohibit others from accessing, again, those, those types of things, um, we, we definitely don't want to do that. So, um, so we provide, um, you know, our, our main kind of bread and butter is, is going over to the clinics to introduce the program to patients and families. Certainly that was unfortunately put on hold during the pandemic as with yeah, many other that's things. Yeah, so hard, right? Yeah. Um, so we can talk more about that, but, um, so that's, you know, what, what we really find is helpful to do kind of the face to face. We've also been doing a lot of kind of e-introductions over the phone or zoom. Um, we do a lot of programming. We've expanded a lot through COVID I'd say through again, the virtual space, it's allowed for some more creativity and, um, flexibility. Um, and so in that way, we're doing kind of support groups. We're doing um, what we call a peer group program. So it's a group of, um, you know, one set group of individuals who are attending. Um, and we talk about different topics related to, to and topics and concerns for young adults with cancer. It's a very unique group as I don't need to tell you that after living yes. through it um, <laughs> in terms of unique needs. Um, we provide individual counseling um, and then really just addressing, again, the unique things that arise at this this stage of life, certainly any cancer diagnosis is life-changing, um, but within this young adult space, there's there's an added layer of, of unique challenges that come up. Absolutely. And do you, um, I really admire the inclusivity and in how you said that you, you know, you don't have to have been treated at, at yeah. Dana-Farber to um, benefit from some of the programs that you, that you offer, which is amazing. Um, do you also, do you have to be in current treatment or can survivors um, also join in? Um, Great question. Yeah, sorry, I did not clarify that. It's, no. it's open to anyone at any stage of their care. We see folks who are newly diagnosed, people who are a few years out. Um, it's really, again, we want it to be very flexible, acknowledging kind of everyone's at a different point. And um, I think there's a benefit to kind of having a combination. I think we hear from a lot of folks, oh, wait, you know, I went to this group and there was someone with my same diagnosis who's a year out and that gave me some hope. And right. that's really, and I'm so glad I got to connect with them because I thought I was the only one with that diagnosis and at my age. Um, so um, I think it's important to acknowledge that space and the time point, uh, but also there's different needs that come up at each time point, right? So trying to navigate yes. all that. I know from, so uh, me putting my survivor hat on, I'm like, it's so nice because con the connection piece is so huge and not feeling alone. And that's one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast, but putting your hat on, it must be really difficult to plan the content for these meetings if there is such a wide range of people and needs and, and yeah, um, that must be tricky, but also keep it really interesting for you, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's constantly changing. We're constantly learning from young adults and families about what they want. Of course, that those things have changed through the pandemic, unfortunately, yeah. or fortunately, yeah. but we're constantly just seeking feedback and very open to suggestions. If someone comes to us and says, hey, have you thought about doing this or that? 
like, no, but let's, let's try it. Let's see what we can do. And again, just having more of that flexibility now in the virtual space has been really nice that we can maybe consider offering these types of things now. Definitely. And it's, and it's very, it must be fun that you have the ability to say, hey, yeah, let's try it. You know, the flexibility to just kind of create whatever you think will work. Yes. Um, which is awesome. That's, that's really great. Uh, what is your favorite part of your job? Oh. Do you mind sharing? Oh, how much time do we have? I know. Um. <laughs> as much time as yeah. we need. Um, I love connecting with, with individuals and families going through this incredibly difficult time of life. I know that sounds really crazy. And um, I think it's truly an honor and very humbling to be able to be part of a small part of that, the process. And I'm not, I'm not going to call it a journey back to your yeah. podcast title, <laughs> yeah. um, the experience. I don't know. Yes. Everyone uses a different word for it. All, they do. I'll, I'll and say, I'm fine with journey. No, no. Journey. <laughs> I, I've, I've come to learn that, that it's not a popular word with many people. So I appreciate again, the, the space to talk about it that way. Language is important. It matters. Yes, yes. Um, so I think it's important to, um, uh, sorry, back to my original thought. So yes, um, yes I, I think just being a part of that, that process and um, I think making the, the experience a little bit less um, challenging, it's still always going to be a challenge, but, but having that extra layer of support in there and being able to be along for that, that ride with them and however way we can be is really my favorite part. I think learning from young adults and families about their experiences and what we can do better as a program is really enlightening. And I think um, it's really important for the, their voices to be heard in some way. And I think that's my other favorite part is, is leveraging their voices to be able to, to make improvements in the, the field of psychosocial care for young adults and, and um, their families and caregivers. Oh my gosh, what a powerful feeling to, to hear their needs and then be able to evolve and, and add th- programs or add things that can be directly even more impactful. I mean, it's just, yeah, that must be a very um, fulfilling feeling to know that you're really honestly helping you're helping a lot <laughs> yes fulfilling is a great word rewarding sometimes I, I like to say um but also coming with with the the downside of of you know it's it's so hard to one be a person kind of navigating cancer if you will and as a family um and then to watch that is is certainly to to do it and then to to be on the outside but also to be a part of it again can be so fulfilling like you said yeah. And kind of on that same line, like what, what is the most difficult part yeah. of your job, which I'm you were kind of already. Sorry, I jumped to. ahead. Yeah, no, you're good. You're good. Um, yeah. I think the hardest part is, is um, watching the, the distress and the, um, all of the kind of long-term impact of, of the diagnosis. Um, and I say long-term, which could be, you know, any amount of time, but from the day someone is diagnosed, that that is that time frame. And um, I think the ripple effect of how terrible cancer can be, which ever, you know, ever, maybe some of our listeners are no, are no stranger to. Um, and really it is a, a family disease. Um, it impacts, you know, certainly there's the individual going through it, but it impacts 
everyone around them, whether it's family, friends, caregivers, roommates, siblings, um, we see all that, especially in the young adult space, people can have many different supporters in their life, which is really wonderful. Um, but, but there's that many more in, involved and impacted by all of this. Um, yeah, that ripple effect is huge. And something that, you know, you don't think about really much. Like when I was diagnosed, of course, I, th- I think I was zeroing in on that and everybody around me was supporting my family, my husband. But it has become even more evident post-treatment how much that ripple, I mean, it's still rippling. Yeah. And, it, and it'll continue to ripple and go yes. through and like just new things we keep learning and, and how it's affecting my family members. It's It's unbelievable how much it does truly affect everybody. So. Yeah. I think that that, yeah, that must be difficult because as one person, you know, you are making such an impact, but there is only so much you can do, so much you can say so that, that I can see how that would be difficult. Yeah, unfortunately, that we've come a long way in terms of treatments and things and, yes, and it's yes. getting, continuing to get better and grateful for that. So we have seen, you know, more survivorship, which is a beautiful thing. That is, um, yeah. But certainly, you know, there, there's still quite, quite a gap. Um, and we work to, to improve that a bit if we can. Yeah, definitely. Now, transitioning my questions a little bit to the support idea that you, we kind of touched upon. Do you ever feel like people come to the group and they have a hard time opening up? Or do you find that the people who come are ready? Mm. And how do you navigate that? Yeah, Yes, there's quite a wide variety. I think our kind of focus is always meeting folks where they're at and whatever program or group we're offering, we, we provide, or we hope to provide a space where they feel comfortable just, just being where they're at and, and that is okay. Um, I think, yes, generally the folks that, that do attend and, and are reaching out for support or, or, you know, contacting us, you know, what's available, what can I come to, um, what's coming up next generally are, in a place where they would like to share their experience or maybe that first session, they're kind of more listening and observing, which is, which has a lot of benefits as well. Um, And then kind of getting into the swing of seeing like how the dynamics are in the group or or the program, or, you know, maybe a one-time workshop like we did have done with elephants and tea. Yes. Um, yes. And um, so I, I think people are in many different spaces and sometimes I think it also depends how, how people um, take in information and how they interact in groups in general, just um, in life um, beyond, beyond cancer. I think that can be, it's really interesting to watch that sometimes too, of of how people kind of jump in and um, it only takes one person to let down a bit of their wall to be vulnerable, which takes a lot um, to share just a piece of their experience that maybe this is the first time they've shared it with complete strangers um, or they've really kind of kept it, kept it close. Um, so to just to be in a room, um, with people they've never met before, but also there's that understanding that everyone else in this room likely has similar feelings to me in some way, or has had a similar experience. So I think that can be a bit of a, um, a bit of the glue that holds everyone together. Oh, totally. Yeah. And just thinking about, you know, I am, I'm such an empath, so I think I would have a hard time. Like, do you ever have people come to a group and then you just never see them again? Because that, I mean, maybe it wasn't for them and that's okay, but I'm just putting myself (laughs) in your shoes and I feel like I personally would be like, 
okay, what did I do wrong? What? How can we fix it? Why? Like, why did they not come back? You know, does that bother you? Or is oh that something you get used to? <laughs> yes, initially it did. And, and it very much was it was uh, introspective. What did I do wrong? What did we do wrong as yeah. a program? Uh, yeah. You, you kind of get used to it, especially over Zoom. It, I think we... Again, during the pandemic, we used it as a time to really kind of do trial and error with a lot of our programs and some stuck, some didn't. Um, So I think we set expectations for ourselves that maybe this would go well or maybe this wouldn't and that's okay. But either way, we're learning from it. And I think that's the biggest piece we're trying to take away. But, um, you know, in some of our groups, if we don't see someone again, I think... um, I think we, we honor that and, and maybe it mm-hmm. wasn't that program and, and maybe it's the next group that we offer in a year that they come to, which is fantastic. And we see that a lot, honestly. Um, it's, it's hard to know when you're really, I'll do air quotes, <laughs> ready for something yes. like this and to get involved. And, and I imagine you've, you've had similar, um, you know, knowing when is that time and we always say, oh, whenever you feel ready to, to get involved. Well, how do... I can imagine sitting there like, well, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if this is something I want to dive into and like let my my guard down. Um, I just went through this crazy experience and right, um, no one's related to me so far. Like, how can this be true? Right. No, totally. And I think that for me, I was not ready during my whole active treatment. Yeah. Like I was not, I did not want to go to group and hear other people upset mm-hmm. because I was like I can barely handle yeah. my own feelings of 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 fear and anxiety so I know personally for me it took me a very long time and even post I mean I'm three years out of my diagnosis now yeah and I've slowly been more and more and more involved and more open and willing and now here I am making a career out of it you know so it's 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 amazing how different it is for everybody. And that's something that we just have to respect, which is yeah. definitely, um, we just have to, cause everybody's different, but yeah, some people get benefit from it mm-hmm. right from the get go. And some need that time. And I think yeah. that's just a beautiful thing that it's their choice really yes. when they come and if they come and what programs they come to. And yeah, yeah it's really choice, which, yeah. is, which is great. That's a great theme to, to point out and to highlight. And I think that really is one of the many kind of goals of, of our program too. And um, offering kind of, we try to offer a plethora and variety of options so that we call it, or we used to call it like a, a buffet of offerings so people can kind of pick and choose um, what it. works for them. Um, and can, again, at any time point, it can be whenever they feel like it might be helpful to, to have some support in that way. And it can be any forms. We also have a smartphone app. I probably didn't mention that at first. There's there's a lot to list, but there's so many different ways to kind of dip your your toes in a bit and get a sense. Yeah. Actually, would you mind talking about the app? Yes. Fairly new. I know you guys have been doing a lot of work with it, but yeah, um, yeah, if you could share a little bit about that, because I feel like that's pretty cool and different. I don't, I don't think I've heard other programs doing that. So yeah. Yeah. And I'm sorry I didn't mention that earlier. It's a big, it's like a, pretty large piece of our program. Yeah. I can't believe I forgot about it. So no. yes, it's a, it's called Aya. It's, it's, um, it's, it's spelled I-A- 
A-Y-A. Um, A-Y-A is Adolescent Young Adult, our listeners. Um, so uh, it's an app designed for young adults treated to Dana-Farber. Right now, the hope is to maybe expand it beyond Dana-Farber. We're just going to do some more testing of it. Um, but it's really designed to be um, an app for young adults to connect with each other. Um, you can sign up and create a your real name or um, create an alias so to protect kind of anonymity if that's something someone's worried about um, and it's 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 completely own separate version of an app you know aside from Facebook so you don't have to log in using any of those so again it protects you know privacy and confidentiality nice. in that way yeah yeah so there's you know a, a, a news feed um, dashboard kind of area where folks can check in and see different posts we try to keep it as interactive as possible but really the interaction will come from the the users. Um, and then there's a space um, or like a coping toolbox. So different strategies to help kind of manage emotions or um, help decide, you know, how to communicate about um, your needs um, as a young adult with cancer. Um, there's some different mindfulness and meditation activities. So really around kind of, again, the psychosocial approach to managing cancer as a young adult and, you know, hopefully the goal of meeting others that, you know, you can do through the app without having to come to a program if, if someone's worried about that. Um, and, and honestly has, has thrived during the pandemic, I think, because we haven't been able to be face to face as often as we wanted. Right. No, I think that's amazing. And plus technology. I mean, I think everybody to have an app for something is so convenient for a lot of people. Yes. Um, and I think that that's great. Yeah, it sounds amazing. And it, one thing I love about it is um, the like, e like reminders of programs that are coming up because a lot of yeah. times with busy with work and life oh, yeah. and everything it can be hard to kind of keep track of that. So it's nice that you have that part in there that you can kind of incorporate. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, we wanted it to be a one-stop shop. So like yeah. if you want to just stay up to date on all these things, there's also a ton of resources on there and we really want it to be a space for people to share whatever they're finding out about, Hey, did you see this program offered by this organization? Elephants and tea or cactus cancer society, those things. And we want people to share that, you know, there's only so much we can pull from and we're happy to share those things too. But I think it's more powerful coming from the users and the patients themselves. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so we, I think you touched upon this a little bit, but if you could expand a little bit, what do you think is the key for um, being a support person for someone mm. who's going through cancer? What What is... <sighs> Yeah, I know it's hard. No, it's a, it's a it's loaded such question. A, no, <laughs> I I love this question. So thank you for asking it. Um, I think listening is big. Um, I think there's always the impulse to want to just fix what is going on for your loved one, um, and I think that is so hard to not want to do. Just to say that, and, and it's not wrong. It's 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 legitimate. Right. Um, but knowing that there's so much that is kind of out of that person's control, the family's control and, and you know, getting the, the correct care, of course, but um, that that's right for that person. And that, you know, could depend on values and priorities and things like that. But I think from a support standpoint, I think trying to be as present as possible. Um, I think we've heard from from patients and families that it's helpful, you know, if, if there is some way to support it's it's asking for something specifically. So can you go pick up, pick up the kids after school today? Um, a meal tonight would be great, something like that. So there's kind of like that practical support, but then there's like the emotional support. There's, there's some days where 
people don't want to talk about cancer. And I think it's okay for um, patients to, to speak up and, and say that. And I think that's something you do have control over um, and, and for supporters to, to listen to that and to honor that. Um, and um, let's see, um, I think your presence and listening, um, I think we're the Seems to be a common theme because I think that, yeah, listening is huge because, again, you never know how the person going through the treatment or the cancer diagnosis is processing their own information. Mm -hmm. So um, they don't even know what they need at that point. So just being a listening ear and just being there, I agree, I think is is hugely important. Um, And kind of jumping back to the programs, would it, which ones tend to be the most popular in your program? Like what types of programs would Great you say? question. Yeah. Um, I think we see a variety and I think we're still trying to figure that out, um, yes. unfortunately. And I think things have changed through COVID. I feel like I've said that five times, um, it's but it's true. true. <laughs> it's true. Broken record over here, but no. um, um, I think what the program that I think has taken off the most, uh, especially recently that we've been really just excited about is our, our peer program, um, that we've been running for about over a year now. So we have different, we've run maybe about six or seven of them now. And, and, um, again, that's that closed group where we, you know, have about 10 or so folks who join and, and we, you know, collect names over a certain amount of time and close off the registration and start the group. So it's usually a six to eight week series, of weekly meetings um, where part of the session is devoted to just some kind of quick education around certain common concerns and challenges for young adults, um, sexual health and intimacy, communication, relationships, um, uh, fear of uncertainty, living with fear of, you know, living with that and and fear of recurrence, all of those things that that we think about. Um, And then having time to talk to the other young adults in the group about that. And sometimes we'll do kind of the breakout groups and other times we'll stay as a larger group. Um, I think it's been helpful for people to have, to get to know the same set of other group members over a certain amount of time. And, and typically we've seen they, some of them stay in touch after. And I think that's a really wonderful oh, thing. That's and so nice. So nice to see some, some have tried to get together to do like outdoor picnics, you know, if, if the weather allows, or even if their appointments coincide on the same day, they've kept in touch to maybe meet in person quickly at the hospital oh, if that's possible. Right. It's, it's been really wonderful to, to witness and, and um, we've, we've made small kind of changes to it throughout as we've received feedback from, from patients as they've gone through the program. So when we've done one for folks that are post-treatment, we've done one for people that are living with advanced or metastatic disease. So really honoring kind of, again, those different time points, those different kind of trajectories, if you will. So I think that's one that we're really have been excited about and proud of, um, you know, more to come. (laughs) Right. No, you totally should be proud of it. Um, I am bummed because I've actually, I was approached, I think two separate times to, to join the group and I would love to, but, um, the time, is there any, like, yeah. <laughs> I have two little kids. Yeah. So I think the meetings were like 530 to seven every Tuesday yeah. or every other two or the first Tuesday of the month or whatever it was. Um, and every time I was like, ah, I yeah. just can't make that work. <laughs> yeah. I wish Sorry. I no, no, it's okay. We'll do one specifically for you. Lisa. <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. No, but I'm saying like, 
for the people that can't make it, mm-hmm. you do have all these other amazing opportunities and yes. programs. So that's, I think that's what makes you guys really special and what makes the program so successful is that there's yeah. something for everybody. Yes. Um, so yeah. true. And, and we certainly, that's something we also struggle with is knowing what time to offer I know. Things, there's never like, a good time. <laughs> never a good time. Ever. Yeah. yeah. Even we found some lunchtime get togethers are helpful. Yeah. If people are working or in school, they can take that half hour, hour to step away. Um, but certainly it's not, you know, expected that people right. will be able to do that or away from, you know, people are in appointments and treatment right. too. So right. thinking about all those layers. No, it's very, it's, it's tricky. I don't envy that because scheduling things <laughs> in general is just very tricky. Um, so kind of, we've touched upon COVID because clearly that impacted what you do and what the program offers. But dare I say that there have been some positives from it and you've found some ways around it that will probably continue, even if, you know, it, gets way better, which hopefully we're on that way, we're on, on that, that route. Track, yes. <laughs> yeah. Could you just talk about that a little bit? Like yeah. what major things you guys had to change and then what you think you might keep? Yes. Yes. And, and in so many ways, it's, it's hard to say there were positives. I know some people use the word silver linings of the pandemic yeah, know, and it's, right. and it's, um, it's always hard to say that. I think it's, it's again, the, like these lessons we're learning, um, yes. through all of this. Um, yes. but yes, I think, um, first and foremost, I don't think the virtual component is going anywhere far, um, for better or worse. I know some people love it and some people like we have the zoom fatigue and, and probably still do to some extent, but, um, thankfully just being able to, to get a little bit more, um, these days, but, um, I think it also allows us to reach more people that maybe mm-hmm. weren't able to attend programs before Dana Farber sees, um, patients from all over the country, the the world, um, you know, all over New England. So even, you know, someone who lives up in Maine to get to a program and they're not already here for treatment or for an right. appointment, that's a lot. So, right. you know, eventually our, our hope is we can get back in person in some way and maybe offer some type of hybrid programming. Um, the peer program I just talked about, maybe we do one or two sessions in person and the rest would be virtual. So at least there is that chance for them to, to connect again, whenever we can do that safely. That's the priority for everyone, certainly. Um, but I think it's, it's opened many doors and new opportunities and ways to think about how we offer services and programming. Um, telehealth has been another piece in terms of our individual counseling and support. Um, there are kind of all the state regulations with that, but I think that's again, open doors to how we practice and how we provide care. Um, and it goes back to, I think, meeting people where they're at and, Mm -hmm. um, honoring that space and honoring kind of, um, where they're, they're coming in from (laughs) figuratively, literally and figuratively. Oh, totally. And do you find, and you may not know this right now because, you know, numbers are going down and I'm, I'm hopeful that we will kind of be in a better spot, um, very shortly, but do you find that the people that come to your programs are eager to get back in person or do you think they like kind of the virtual aspect? I'm sure there's a mixed, (laughs) I'm sure it's very mixed, but I'm curious if some people have been really eager to get that face to face. Yes, definitely a mix. I'd say, Three quarters are saying virtual is great with the occasional opportunity to meet in person. Um, also acknowledging people aren't feeling well. So so to be in pajamas at home 
from your couch or your it's bed, great. <laughs> zooming yeah. in, you know, yeah. even if you have to have your camera off. So um, right. I think that can be a big perk again in, in um, understanding our population and knowing what people are coming in with. And then we definitely have a, you know, a smaller group, I'd say, but it's definitely there that I don't want to zoom. I want to see people in person. I want to know that I'm not alone in this, which certainly, you know, the virtual space provides that as well. But I think we hear all the time and wonder if you felt similarly as walking into that waiting room is the biggest, you know, you check in, you're with your mom or your dad or or an adult or grandparent or someone. and, And of course, you know, it's like, well, they're the patient, right? And, and no, it's, it's actually me as the young adult and, and or right. seeing in the waiting room that there are people your parents or grandparents age and not your age. And I think we hear that all the time. So I think the visualization of being surrounded by support in that way, in that same space is, is really important. And I think we're excited to get back to it whenever we can, because I think it, it's still, it's hard to replace that. It is. It definitely is. But as you said, there is something to say about this virtual aspect. And and that will be very interesting for you guys going forward. <laughs> you, you mentioned hybrid, like figuring out when is the right time? Mm-hmm. And is there a way we can still allow people, like if we are meeting in person someday, hopefully that's it. But can those people that still would rather be virtual be virtual? That's like a whole, yes, sure, a yeah. whole thing that you all have to oh, figure yes. out. <laughs> We've done a lot of surveys. We've tried to just, you know, again, in different time points in the pandemic has also changed where people are at. Now we have vaccines, a beautiful thing. Um, yes. So just, again, like continuing to assess and knowing that that we're never done in terms of like rethinking how we're doing things. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Um, and if you wouldn't mind, cause you're, you're just sharing so many amazing things about your program. And we did mention that not every hospital does, but do mm-hmm. other places have programs like yours? And if my listeners, you know, if they're listening and they're like, how do I find out <laughs> if I have one at mine or yeah, is there a way, an easy way for them to search or look for that? Yeah. Wonderful thing to be thinking about for sure. So, um, I would say there's more now than there ever were before in terms of programs, hospital-based programs. There's also, as you know, a ton more national kind of nonprofit organizations that are specifically designed for adolescents and adults living with cancer, all offering different types of programs, services. Many are virtual. Um, many were virtual, but even before COVID. So that's that's been really like fun to see that come into play. Um, so I'd say... Um, I think of the the best resource, but um, there's a a website called Mission Control, and that is a database where I think you can plug in your uh, zip code wherever you live and search either by category or topic of what specifically you're looking for, whether it is a hospital-based program um, or just kind of national resources or things local to your community, financial assistance, um, wig fitting is a big one. Um, Yes. uh, let's see other other types of support or, or peer connection opportunities, um, and then specifically for for people that are being treated like a certain hospital, I think it's helpful. You could ask um, the social work department or some form of psychosocial um, care group. So that could be psychology, psychiatry, sometimes palliative care or social work would would have a sense of you know if there is something offered, or even if it's not a program, they might have like a support group specifically for young adults, um, or they could have a support group specifically for that certain disease. Um, so it really varies. Um, and I hope it becomes more of a 
commonplace for, yeah. for hospitals to address this, this group. For sure. And I will make sure that I put that website in the show notes. So if um, that sounds like something, if you're listening and it sounds like something that you could benefit from, or you want to poke around and learn more about, I will be sure to do that. Is there um, a specific contact for you if someone is listening and they're in Massachusetts and they're yeah. being treated um, that they could learn specifically about your programs? Yes. Um, offerings? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And I can send you our website. We also have an email that goes right to our program inbox that, that we check regularly um, and happy to share any resources. We also have a monthly newsletter that we send out over email. So um, that's just like an easy way to get information, get updates without, you know, having to like commit to anything, you know, I know everyone's getting a ton of emails these days, but, but, um, sometimes a nice way to just stay informed, even if nothing is of interest or if, um, you know, you're not able to make it to anything. Totally. Okay. So I will grab that information from Paige as well. And I'll put all that in the show notes to close out. I ask everybody in your life, what are you grateful for now more than ever? Oh, that's such a good question. It's a hard one sometimes, but it's a good one. (laughs) Um, I'd say I'll, I'll reframe slightly <laughs> what I just grateful to have learned um, the ability, ability to be present and living in the moment. Um, and I think I've been really grateful to have learned that from so many of our patients and families, um, you know, whether going through an illness or any other major life changing event, whatever that might be, I think the importance of being in the presence and, and present and um, being present with others in your life. Um, I've, I've been received, I've been the receiver of that and, um, you know, trying to find ways to, to do that to others in my life as well. So I think, um, but today that's, that's what feel is feeling most, um, in my gratitude bucket. (laughs) Yeah. It's such a good answer. And it's so important to take that moment and think about what you're grateful for. So I Mm -hmm. really appreciate you sharing that. And for sharing all of this amazing information that you did about your program at Dana-Farber, you're doing amazing work. So thank you very, very much for taking your time um, to talk to us and to share your knowledge. And I'm just so lucky that I get to, you know, continue to work with you. So (laughs) well, definitely a two-way street. So thank you so much for for having me. It's an honor to be here. Love chatting with you and and hope um, some of the listeners, you know, learned something and found, found some new resources and support. And thank you for having this podcast. I think there's so many people that could benefit from it. So thank you for providing the space. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Paige. I hope that you found it helpful and I hope that it encourages you to look into young adult programs offered in your area, whether that be at your hospital, wherever you are being treated. Um, And this clearly after listening to the episode, you can tell that it's not just for people who are currently being treated. There are a lot of support programs and events offered for survivors as well. And I think it's something worth looking into for sure. And if your treatment center or hospital does not have a specific young adult program, there are a lot of incredible organizations across the country that offer free services for you. So take a look at some of the information I have posted in the show notes, and um, I hope that you find that helpful.
next week there will be an episode I'm bringing my husband back on and Matt and I are just going to do a quick little update on how we've been, um, some health updates um, and just information that has been discussed um, that I think we'd like to give you a little bit more information about. So I hope that you tune in next week. As always, I want to end by saying that I am not a doctor, a nutritionist, or a social worker. I am simply a cancer survivor who wants to share her experience in hopes of helping others who find themselves in a similar situation. Thank you for listening to the Don't Call It a Journey podcast. If you enjoyed it, if you could take two seconds out of your day to give a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, it would mean the absolute world to me. The more reviews and ratings that I have, um, the more exposure that the podcast gets, which ultimately means the more people I can hopefully help. So I would really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. See you next week.